following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now this morning, uh, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, so we're going to stay in Luke this morning, but we're going to go right back to the beginning of Luke's Gospel and look at a passage to do with the birth of Christ that happens around that story uh, as part of Luke's gospel, a song that Mary sings. And so Taryn is going to come and read this passage for us. Thanks, Taryn. This morning's reading is taken from Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. Mary's song of praise. Mary said, My heart praises the Lord. My soul is glad because of God, my Savior, for he has remembered me, his lowly servant. From now on, all people will call me happy because, because of the great things the mighty God has done for me. His name is holy. From one generation to another, he shows mercy to those who honor him. He has stretched out his mighty arm and scattered the proud with all their plans. He has brought down mighty kings from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has kept the promise he, has made, he made to our ancestors and has come to help his servant Israel. He has, he has remembered to show mercy to Abraham and to all his descendants forever. Thanks, Taryn. All right, well, I don't know, when you, when you listen to that song, uh, when you listen to that passage of Scripture, I, I don't know what comes to your mind. I think for most of us, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely passage. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, it's a very poetic kind of passage. It's a very uplifting kind of passage, right? And it, it makes us think about Christmas, makes us think about Mary, makes us think about the Christmas story. These are all good things. Uh, but interestingly, that passage of Scripture that Taryn just read out, it has not always been seen that way. In fact, it's, it's been taken very differently. Uh, throughout history, well, even just in the last hundred years, three different governments have banned that passage from being read or recited in their countries. Back in the, in the early 20th century in India, uh, the government prohibited any public reading or reciting of Mary's song, even in churches. This was in British-ruled India, um, for fear that it would sort of incite conflict against the government. Uh, in the 1970s in Argentina, they banned people from carrying placards with those words written on in the central plazas of cities. Uh, in the 1980s, in Guatemala, the government felt that those words were so uh, treasonous and likely to incite such rioting that they banned any displaying, any reciting of Mary's song at all. So this is sometimes how that passage has been taken. So we do need to be careful today, right? It's possible we could be shut down right here just for reading this passage out. It's, it seems strange, doesn't it, that, that that sort of thing happened? Because as, as you look at it, if you've got it open in front of you or on your device, it doesn't seem that offensive. Oh, just to read these words, it doesn't seem revolutionary. It, do, it doesn't seem like it's going to be politically threatening. This just seems like a nice, inspiring, uplifting song, right? But let me read to you the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian, and he was part of the resistance against the Nazi regime. And he was a pastor. He preached a sermon. He preached a sermon on this passage in the same year that Hitler came to power. And he said this about Mary's song. He said, It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, 
One might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. So he had a different take on it. Because as you look at the song, even though they're nice lyrical words to us, there are ideas in this song that are radical. There are ideas here that are revolutionary. There are ideas here that can be threatening to the status quo. There is stuff here that can be dangerous, right? This is not just nice, sweet little song sung by nice, sweet little Mary. This is powerful stuff. This is explosive stuff. This is highly charged. This was a bold song for Mary to sing. This was a brave song for Mary to sing. This had far-reaching implications in her own day, and it has far-reaching implications in our day. And so we, this morning, we kind of need to push past the niceties of this passage. And I know maybe we've heard it sung, and it's a nice Christmas piece of music, but we need to push past a bit of that and let ourselves feel the force of what Mary's saying here. Let ourselves feel the impact of what she's saying here, because this is radical stuff. So, Let's have a closer look. The, let me just give you the context of, of, of this passage because we've dived straight into all this. But Mary is obviously pregnant with Jesus. And at a certain point in her pregnancy, she goes to see her relative Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth is also pregnant. And she's carrying John the Baptist. And when Mary comes to see Elizabeth, the baby within Elizabeth jumps, jumps for joy, sensing the presence of the Messiah. And so Elizabeth gives Mary this amazing blessing and Mary then responds with this song. And probably she didn't literally just stand up and sing a song. She probably just didn't compose this on the spot. It's not like she picked up her guitar, probably, and sung this. Maybe, she, maybe this was a poem that, that she wrote uh, later on. Maybe, maybe some lyrics that she sort of put together and reflected on. And what is one of the things that's amazing, I think, about this song, is as you look down the, the, the verses there from 46 through to 55, almost every one of those lines in this song is drawn from the Old Testament somewhere. Almost every one. You'll see if you've got a cross-reference Bible, just the list of scriptures in the Old Testament. Some are from the Psalms, some are from 1 Samuel. And really what Mary has done here is she hasn't really composed her own song at all. She's, she's created this beautiful mosaic of scriptures from the Old Testament. She's woven this beautiful tapestry together of scriptures from the Old Testament. And as much as anything, one of the things I love about this is this picture of a teenage girl who knows her Bible. Like that's, what, that's what we're looking at here, you know? So teenagers, like here's a beautiful picture of a teenage girl who knew her Bible and she'd spent time reading it. And now when she's in this situation which is confusing to her and difficult to her, she reaches for those verses that she's been told, those verses that she'd learned, probably been told by her mum and dad over many years, and she's able to put those together now. And she's able to then, then craft this, this, this composite of all these scriptures and this becomes her own expression to God her own expression of praise and trust to God. It's a beautiful picture, hey? And it comes out of Mary's own reading of Scripture. So as you look at what she says here and you look at these Scriptures that she uses, there is one major theme that runs all the way through this, this prayer, this song, this poem. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you up front and then we'll spend time unpacking it. The big theme, the big idea in this song is the great reversal. Okay, it's what I've called the great reversal. And the idea is, it's a song about how God takes those who are proud and high up and full of themselves and arrogant and brings them down. And how God takes those who are lowly and humble and, and whose hearts are soft and open and he lifts them up. 
And so God flips things around from being the way they are. God takes status quo and he turns it on its head. God takes the tables and he just turns them and everything just is, is, is different. Everything is reversed from the way that we might see it or the way we might think about it. This is the great reversal. And this happens in a number of different ways. Just have a look at this. The first way in which this great reversal happens is in Mary's own life. So part of this is Mary reflecting on her own experience. Have a look at verse 48. For he has been mindful, so she's talking about God, for he, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So the word servant there, it's literally the word for a female slave. It, you, you could not think of a, of a lower rank or, or description of a person in terms of their, their, their role in society, their social class, than calling them this. She is a female slave. She is describing herself in this way. A female slave had no rights of their own. They had no entitlements. They, they belonged totally to their master. They were totally at the whim of whoever owned them. Now, Mary wasn't literally a slave. She was, she was a freed woman. But she, in relation to God, she's saying, I'm, just, I'm a slave. Some of your old translations say, I, I'm the Lord's handmaiden. She is saying, I, am just, I, am, I belong totally to God. I'm totally his. She's already gone through this process of saying, I am the Lord's servant. When the angel revealed to her that she would carry the Messiah. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to God's will. Just this process of a humble teenage girl just handing her life totally over to God and saying, I'm his. I belong to him. I'm not my own. I'm totally at the service of my master. And because of that, Mary says, because of that humility, now all generations will call her blessed. That's the lifting up. That's the great reversal from humility to blessing. And I mean, Mary couldn't possibly have known all that would mean, right? I mean, imagine if she had thought about the fact 2,000 years later that we'd be sitting here on the other side of the world talking about her. It, you know, there's no way she could have pictured this. And yet that's literally what has happened through all generations. All generations have called Mary blessed. The Catholics call her a little bit more blessed than the Protestants, but we still call her blessed, right? She is truly blessed. Doesn't mean we need to pray to her, but we can still call her blessed. She truly had this incredible place in God's plan. As the, as the mother of the Messiah, the one who was chosen to carry the king into the world, she is truly blessed. And so there's this lifting up, this beautiful reversal, lifting up of the humble, where Mary comes from being lowly to being blessed and highly honored and greatly esteemed. And then this great reversal keeps happening. And, and you see more and more fulfillment. It keeps happening through the life of Jesus. Just think about the birth of Jesus. You have this incredibly humble birth. Like the birth of Jesus in the most unsanitary, inhumane, undignified conditions, just placed into an animal feeding trough in a dugout stable underneath someone's house, probably. This is the sort of conditions. Like we would, we would say that is totally unacceptable for a baby to be born in those conditions today. Midwives would be horrified by this. And yet this was the scenario in which the king of kings came into the world. This was the scenario in which the light of the world was given. This was the scenario in which God himself poured his, his being, his person into our humanity. It's incredibly humble birth. And at the same time in the nativity story, you see those who are high and proud and lifted up 
being totally bypassed in the story as you read the birth narrative. Caesar, the great ruling empire, emperor of the day, he barely gets a mention. He just gets a passing mention in Luke. Herod, the king of the Jews, he's duped by the wise men. He ends up looking like a fool. And you just hear these words of Mary's coming true. You know, the proud will be scattered in their innermost thoughts. It's exactly what happened to Herod at the birth of Jesus. And the humble, this humble baby is being lifted up. It's the king of kings. So the great reversal is happening even in the birth of Jesus. And then keep going through the story. Think about the life of Jesus. Think about the ministry of Jesus. So we've just spent the last couple of months looking at all these passages about Jesus' ministry years. Just think of those stories that we've looked at. Think of some of those miracles. Think of some of those interactions. Can you hear in some of those stories that theme of the great reversal? The humble being lifted up. The rich, the proud being cast down. Can you hear it? Think about the woman who was a prostitute who came and anointed the feet of Jesus. Wetting her feet with, his te- with her tears. Pouring the perfume on his feet. Drying them with her hair. She's a broken, sinful person who would have been a total outcast, totally unclean. But she is the humble one and she is lifted up by Jesus, isn't she? And he blesses her and he forgives her. He's lifting up the humble. It's the great reversal. And then you think about the rich young ruler that we looked at. That man who had all the money in the world who had power and status and rank, he had all the resources, and yet what happens? He goes away sad because he's unable to give of himself what Jesus asks. It's exactly, literally, what Mary said would happen. The rich will go away empty. Not because they're rich. There's nothing wrong with money per se, but his heart wasn't able to part with his money. And he'd made an idol of it. And so the rich go away empty. In the, in the ministry of Jesus, you see time and time again, it's a constant pattern, this great reversal. The humble are being lifted up. And the proud and, the, and those with status and those who are great in their own eyes are being brought down. And then that brings us all the way to the cross. And the cross really is the point at which you see the ultimate great reversal happening. Because that is the ultimate act of humility. On one hand, it's really humiliation. It's the most degrading, most torturous, most barbaric, inhumane kind of death a person could possibly die. I mean, the Romans came up with crucifixion not just because they wanted to kill and torture people, but because they wanted to shame them. It was a lot about shame. It was a lot about totally degrading and dehumanizing a person so that they would be shamed and cursed. That's what Jesus was on the cross, ultimately humiliated. Isaiah says he was one from whom people turned their faces. We couldn't even look on him. And yet, in that act of humiliation at the cross, in that act of of a hideous death, Jesus wins the ultimate victory. He wins this victory over sin. He wins a victory over death in his resurrection. He wins a victory over the evil one, over the, the enemy, Satan, who held us all in the clutches of death. And yet, through the cross, Jesus casts him down. Through the cross, Satan is defeated. This is again what Mary prayed. Rulers will be cast down from their thrones. It's exactly what happened at the cross. Satan was cast down. No longer the prince of this world. No longer the one who has ultimate domain, ultimate authority over our lives, over this world. He was cast down from his throne and it happened on a Roman cross. It's the great reversal right there. The humble, humiliated one being lifted up. The rulers, the proud being cast down. It didn't look like it on Good Friday, did it? But that's exactly what was happening, the great reversal. 
And because that has happened, that Good Friday has now guaranteed a day in the future when the final great reversal is going to take place. This is what Graham was talking about. This is what soon is all about. This is what the return of Jesus is all about. Ultimately, this is where Mary's prayer gets to. It ultimately looks all the way, all the way down through history to that day when Jesus returns. And what Mary prays and what Mary sees here from these Old Testament scriptures will literally be fulfilled one day in the new creation where those who who have been proud and who have just lived for themselves and built themselves up and lifted themselves up above God, they will be brought down and they will be excluded from the new creation. But those who have been humble, those who have been what the Bible describes as poor in spirit, who have been broken before God, who have opened their hearts to God and cried out for His forgiveness, they will be lifted up. And they will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth and the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity. And then these words that Mary says, they will literally come true. He will fill the hungry with good things. Right? That's what's going to happen on that day. One of the images we get in the Bible of the new creation is the image of a banquet. It's the image of like a wedding reception, a wedding supper, this great feast where we join in and we, and we just share together in this banquet that's going to go on and on and on, the richest of foods, the finest of cuisine. And, and the Old Testament talks about how the fields will drip with new wine. There'll be a good drop or two in the new creation. All of these images of the feasting that will go on, the hungry will be filled. There'll be no more hungry in the new creation. There will no longer be people that go without We still live in a world, hundreds of millions of people are hungry. And yet Jesus is saying, Mary is saying on that day, no longer. No more hunger. No more poverty. But all will be filled. There will be enough. There will be plenty. There will be abundance. There will be bounty for all. There will be equality for all in the new creation. All will be fed. All will be filled. All will be lifted up. This is the beautiful picture of what Mary is describing. This is the picture that is part of the Advent story. It's part of what this time of year should do for us, is pull our hearts in that direction and focus us on that day that is yet to come, where the humble will be lifted up and the hungry filled with good things. It's the ultimate great reversal that still sits there waiting for us when Jesus returns. And so this is a huge song that Mary's singing. This is not just a little song about her own situation. It starts there, doesn't it? But then it keeps going through the life of Jesus, death of Jesus, on through our day, on into the new creation. This is a song that stretches the whole length of God's redemptive story, this huge, great reversal that is going on and on and on, this song that is continually being sung as God keeps on bringing down the proud, bringing down the arrogant, and lifting up the humble. This is what God does. This is what God has been doing throughout history. This is what God will do when one day Jesus returns. And here's the really exciting thing. God is not waiting until that future day to start doing this. It's not all ahead of us, but he's doing this now. This is the great reversal that is coming about now. This is what God is doing in the world right now is bringing about Mary's song. He's fulfilling it. It's being fulfilled before our eyes. Now, that doesn't mean, this is where governments get nervous, that doesn't mean great political revolution. 
It doesn't mean violence, certainly doesn't mean violence. But it does mean the great reversing of things. It does mean things being turned on their heads. And it begins any time someone bows their knee and entrusts their life to Jesus. Anytime someone does that, there's a great reversal that happens in that person's life. Anytime that happens. Because all those things that we used to think were important, all those things that we place so much value in, our achievements and our accomplishments and our accolades, these things that we live for, all of a sudden they lose their shine. And you realize that stuff's not that great anymore. That stuff's not going to count for a whole lot in the scheme of eternity. And on the other hand, God takes our humble heart, our open heart, and he lifts us up. And he draws us into his family, and he gives us the greatest privilege imaginable of being adopted as sons and daughters into God's family with God our Father and Jesus as our elder brother. Like that is the humble being lifted up right there. And it happens, it's happened for you, many of you. Every, every, every time someone becomes a follower of Jesus, this great reversal happens in our lives. And then God says to us now, now that I've done this great reversal within your life, now that your heart has turned and changed and transformed, now I want to face you outwards towards the world. Now I want to face you towards others. And I want you to bring about a little bit of this great reversal in the world. Now I want you to take the words of Mary's song and I want you to be part of fulfilling this in your own day. God asks this of every generation. He asks this of every one of his children, every one of his followers. He says, now will you be part of what I'm doing in the world? Will you be part of this great reversal? It's a huge thing, but it comes down to very ordinary people in very ordinary ways, participating with the Holy Spirit and bringing about exactly what Mary says here. It doesn't mean toppling leaders from their thrones, but it does mean lifting up the humble. And it does mean filling the hungry with good things. It's a different kind of revolution than what some have thought it was. But it's just as radical. Let me read you the words of Tom Wright, who describes this kind of revolution that Mary's singing about. He says, A new sort of power will be let loose upon the world, and it will be the power of self-giving love. This is the heart of the revolution that was launched on Good Friday. At the heart of the victory of God over all the powers of the world, there lies self-giving love. That's the revolution. That's, that's the great reversal. And so now God says, I want you to look around you. I want you to look around at people in your life. I want you to look at neighbors and friends and family and community. And I want you to ask, how can you be a little part, just a little part of fulfilling this great reversal? How can you be a little part of taking that self-giving love that was demonstrated supremely on the cross and showing it in some small way to someone that you know? in really ordinary circumstances, in really ordinary ways. And one of the ways we're doing that is through what's happening today, this, this gift project. I mean, this is, this is part of the great reversal. So there's been 72 of you who have nominated someone outside the church, friends of yours, neighbours, colleagues, whoever they are, and you think mo almost all of these are people beyond our church community. So they're people around us and you've nominated them, and now you're going to go and get these vouchers and gift hampers, and then sometime over the next couple of weeks, you're going to take those to those people, and you're going to bless them and encourage them and give them this gift on behalf of the church. I've got a, a guy this week that I, that I 
nominated. I'm going to catch up with him. He's a, he's a guy I've known way back since school days. And he's had lots of challenges with mental health over his life. It, it's, he's struggled to hold down a job. He's struggled in relationships. He struggles a lot with money. He just doesn't have anything. And so I've, I've got some vouchers. And, and I said to him the other week, I messaged him and said, keen to catch up. I've got a Christmas present for you. And he said, I've got one for you too. So maybe he's nominated me. That'd be great. Because <laughs> that's the thing, eh? We've got to do these things without being patronizing about it, without being doing it with an air of superiority. But I can't wait to catch up with him and give him this little gift and give him a card and to do this on behalf of our church family, that it's an expression of who we are in our community. Someone else shared with me this morning, a woman that she's been journeying with who, who lost her husband a while ago, and she's just been walking with her through that difficult time, and, and she's going to go and give her a, a gift hamper this week or before Christmas and just encourage her, and, and we're just praying as that happens. We don't do it for this reason, but we're just praying as that happens that God might just soften their hearts a little bit more towards him and that it might just be another step that they take towards Christ. But we do it just to show the unconditional love of Jesus. But what I want you to see is as you take all those goodies, and you give them to those people, see yourself as participating in Mary's song. Just think about that passage of Scripture. As you sit down and, and have that coffee, or knock on the door, or however you're going to do it, just think about those words of Mary's song, and think, I am part of the great reversal. That's what's happening here. This is the revolution. This is the great reversal of all things. It's a very ordinary looking thing, isn't it? But this is exactly what God is doing in the world. He is lifting up the humble and he is filling the hungry with good things. That's exactly what you are going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. And as you do those things, you are fulfilling Mary's song. You're part of this great reversal. And I just want to encourage you that as you do that, and if, if you haven't signed up to this gift project, that's fine. You could find another way of just blessing someone. There's, there's such tremendous needs out there at the moment. And the stories that are coming through from agencies and organizations that are working with the homeless, that are working with people in poverty, are that there is more need than there has been in previous years, largely because of, because of COVID. And so many stories of people that are struggling so much. We don't hear about it that much because we often tend to be quite isolated in our little bubbles, many of us. But we've got to lift up our heads a bit and think this is not something just far away. This is not something over in Africa. This is in our city. This is here. This is in our community. People just battling to get food on the table. And of course, what happens is when people are already struggling and battling like that, Christmas comes along and what happens? It just gets turned up. That, that struggle... That sense of hardship, it gets amplified because they can't afford the nice Christmas presents for their kids. They can't afford to do the Christmas things they want to do. And then they look towards next year and they're going to struggle to afford the school uniforms and on and on it goes. And these stories are all around us and these needs are all around us. And as the followers of God, we listen to the words of Mary's song and we think, well, this is, this is what God is doing is, is he's lifting up the humble and he's filling the hungry with good things. And so if I'm a follower of this God, then I want to care about the things that, that God cares about. And I want my heart to break for the things that break the heart of God. And so I want to look around me and ask, how can I, in some small way, be a part of doing what Mary says? Be a part of doing exactly what's described here. Lifting up the humble. Filling the hungry with good things. What does that look like for you over the next couple of weeks to have some small part in the great reversal?
Can I just encourage you, as you give out those things that you're going to give out over the next couple of weeks or have the conversations or do whatever you do, don't just see that as as a one-off gesture. Don't see it as just a token gesture and I've done this thing so I can tick a box and now I'm good and I'll move on with my life. See that as part of a journey. See it as coming alongside that person and not with any air of patronizing, condescending nonsense, but just as a total equal of that person who is seeking to love and be loved, not doing this with any sense of a power differential, but in humility because we want to be the humble ones. See this as part of a journey that you'd walk with that person. As you look out across next year, think, okay, I don't want to just drop a gift hamper and run. How can I journey with that person? How can I have some contact with them over the course of next year to be a little bit more present in their life than I have been now? Can I check in with them? Can I touch base with them? Can I encourage them? Can I pray for them a little bit more than I have now? Can I be a part of that journey? If they're struggling, can I be part of that support system, that support network around them to just have a place in blessing and encouraging as part of their journey? This is being an alongsider. It's just as simple as walking the road walking the journey with someone else. So this is not one moment in time. This is a catalyst. This is just the beginning or the midpoint or whatever it is of your ongoing journey with that person. So I think when you come back to this song, I, th- I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer was probably right. I, I think this is the wildest and most passionate and most revolutionary Advent song ever sung. Maybe not always in the ways that some governments have thought that it was, but revolutionary nonetheless. That it speaks to us of this incredible reversal that God is bringing about and has already brought about through the cross. A revolution that stretches all the way to when Christ comes again. And a great reversal that challenges us to move beyond our comfort zone, Move beyond what is familiar to us. Move beyond what we might choose to do and be part of God's great reversal in the world, lifting up the humble, filling the hungry with good things. And we do this because we know that that line in Mary's song is so true where she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Now that's why we do these things, isn't it? Not to be good Christians, not to be good citizens, but because we know the mighty one has done great things for me. You should be able to say that, no matter what kind of year you've had, because we can always look at Jesus and say, even though if I look back at 2020, it may not have been a year of good things, may not have been a year of great things, but I can still say the mighty one has done great things for me through Jesus. Let's pray. So Jesus, we want to thank you for your servant Mary. I want to thank you for this this teenage girl who went through such an ordeal. And even as she's saying these words, she, she knew so little really of what was going on. But we thank you that her words are captured there. Thank you for the humility of her heart. Thank you that she, in her own simple way, was able to hand her life over to you and trust herself to you and pray this amazing prayer that has traveled all the way down to our day today. And I thank you for 
her words and we want to pray those words would echo in our hearts as we travel through Advent, as we travel towards Christmas Day, as we think about people around us that are struggling and battling, or maybe we think of the struggles and the battles that we have ourselves. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God who lifts up the humble, the God who fills the hungry with good things, the mighty one who has done great things for us. We thank you for that, God, and I pray that in the coming days, you would give us the strength and give us the courage and give us the time and the focus to take a step towards others, to show your love, your self-giving love to those who may be hurting, broken or struggling. Help us to do this, Lord Jesus, all in your name and for your glory. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.